3: For the next hour, we explore the connection between faith and science. How will the new COVID vaccines be accepted? And will they return Utahns back to church services as we once knew them? Hope on the Horizon with Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM.
4: Welcome to this conference edition of Hope on the Horizon Science and Faith Come Together to Fight COVID 19. I'm Debbie Janovic, along with Dave Noriega. We're going to spend the next hour exploring how developments in COVID-19 vaccines will serve as a catalyst to return
5: hundreds of thousands of Utahns back to church services as we once knew them, Dave. We begin with a discussion between the two of us and some of our closest friends about what we missed about going to church, and then also how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is working to get vaccine supplies around the world. BYU psychologist Tom Golightly joins us. Uh, he'll discuss the emotional and mental value church plays in our lives. And finally, a look at how different congregations will safely start gathering again.
4: You know, Dave, as of mm, toward the end of March, we know we had more than a million Utahns have had at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. So in less than a year's time from when the pandemic really started to show up in Utah, science would become the savior for in-person church services. Some churches have yet to completely throw open the doors. Others have opened the doors, so sort of, with social distancing required, a limit on how many can enter and be in church at one time, masking, and no handshaking. How do things look up in your neck of the woods at church, Dave?
5: We go every other week, Okay, uh, and that's a big change. Uh, We're used to going every single week of our lives. Uh, We also went from a a two-hour block to less than an hour. So that's been significantly different. Uh, We do have church every week, but we're one day in person, and then the next week we are online. Dave, the First Congregational Church of Berkeley,
4: the United Church of Christ, they conducted a survey about what people missed about church. And I want to kind t- have a round table with some of our friends that we dialed up um, and asked them what they miss most about church. But based on this survey, here's what the parishioners of the United Church of Christ said. They missed hugs. They miss intergenerational engagement. They miss singing together. They miss live music. They miss th- physically being present in church because it's such a sacred building. They have been online. For most of the year, uh, watching their church services over Zoom meetings, much like so many of us. What what do you what do you miss most about church? What do your friends say they miss most about church? Dave,
5: I talked to Tara Zog about how her family felt once they stopped going to church, and I felt very much the same way.
0: Oh, let's listen. Uh, obviously, at first, everybody loved it. It's a vacation. You it's you get to sleep in and do it on your own timetable. That's kind of nice. It, there's something about being able to get up and get ready and go out and be around people and to to learn from each other that, that you really miss out on.
5: When I was home, I can tell you just from my own experience, when I was home, online, sitting on my couch in my pajamas <laughs> with a Diet Coke, I wasn't as focused as mm-hmm. I needed to be. Uh, I also talked to uh, Kelly Main. She's a senior in high school. Okay. Uh, and I asked her what it was like and. What she was missing. But I was really sad
0: about it. Like, I just remember being really sad that we couldn't go to church. Yeah, it was just kind of weird. Like, you're just at home and it didn't feel like a Sunday. I don't know. It was just weird. And I was like, it was weird to not take the sacrament and not see people. It's so weird. You just felt really distant from people and, like, really isolated. But it was good to be able to be with your family
5: more, which I like.
0: I enjoyed that for a little bit.
5: Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that for a little bit. So being with your
4: family more, <laughs> did you feel a little claustrophobic?
5: Yeah, we had spent so much time together. I think that was part of it. Uh, it's important to talk to others, right? I mean, we've learned that over the last year or so. Uh, but to be able to feed off each other's testimonies and uh, to feed off each other's ideas and thoughts and experiences on a spiritual level was what I miss the most.
4: You know, as a Catholic, um, I really miss taking communion. Um, you know, just like so many other churches, there's had to be modifications, a lot of services now online, but communion is such an important moment, um, at mass where you take what's, you know, a host and a little sip of wine from a glass. It's the body and blood. It symbolizes the body and blood of Christ, c- Christ. But, you know, imagine Dave in a pandemic uh, sipping on a communal wine glass—I mean, that would become a super spreader event. You can't—you can't do that. Uh, so that's what I miss most. Uh, about being able to just freely walk into church services on Saturday evening or on Sunday morning. I also have a very, very good friend. She's, I've been friends with her for more than 20 years, Stephanie Ashcraft. She's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And we've often over the years shared our, our experiences, um, you know, with our different, um, religions. Well, she spent a significant, as you did, part of the pandemic watching services via Zoom. And now they're kind of back, as you are, to Sunday service, but sort of the light edition. Uh, And here's what Steph told me about what she misses most.
2: There's power in gathering. And there's something about gathering with your neighbors, gathering with your friends, and that unity that exists there and that care and that mutual love that you have for each other that just builds whenever you're together. And so that's probably what I've missed the most through the last year is having those close-knit connections do does it feel the same as it did before no not quite yet just because I well I used to be the unofficial ward door greeter and I, I'm i a hugger so I just would hug people as they walked in and that no longer can happen and so right now we're not back to where I can hug and or even where we're shaking hands, it seems like we're still doing the elbow bumps and um, still, you know, socially distancing on the rows. And so it it just doesn't feel as close-knit as it used to be.
5: It doesn't. There's a barrier. And I feel that barrier as well. But I think with so many churches returning in some fashion to in-person instruction I think that makes a big difference. And when I was talking to Kelly Maines, she said, I don't care what it was. I don't care what the rules are, what masks I have to wear. Just get me back.
0: I was so happy to see people and like, even with masks on, like I was willing to have a mask on so you could be with people in person and you just like wanted to talk to everyone. And I remember they had to like kick us out of the chapel cause we were all talking and stuff. They were like, "Hey, time to leave. <laughs> but it was fun to talk to people and see them again.
4: So they're being cautious, Dave, even yeah. when you're back, like breaking up the crowd.
5: Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's, it's like permission here. You can, you can be friends again. You can care about each other again. It, it was very hard to to kind of shift that mindset of, you know what, the best way to take care of people is to stay away from people. That goes against just about everything we've been taught since we were little kids. So you can understand uh, why uh, Tara Zog felt anxious to get back together.
0: I think people are anxious to be together. I think we're all waiting for that time where we feel like we're 100% okay to be together because it's easy to get lazy. But I think um, it also made you realize that a lot of these things that we should be doing on our own are up to us.
4: And Stephanie, my friend, Stephanie Ashcraft, Dave, brought up an excellent point, And that is that there's with everybody getting uh, now eligible, all adults anyway, eligible to get vaccinated in Utah, the hope on the horizon is so clear it's right there in front of us and it's just a matter of time before we're all able to get back together for church and she also brought this up potlucks potlucks she's ready to get back to funeral potatoes and green (laughs) jello straight ahead the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is behind one of the largest financial donations ever to ensure billions of COVID-19 vaccine doses reach people across the globe.
0: Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night.
1: Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do.
0: When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything.
2: It was violent. It was...
0: I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at Letterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: For more insights with Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic, listen Monday between 9 and noon.
4: Welcome back to this conference edition of Hope on the Horizon. Science and faith come together to fight COVID. Once again, I'm Debbie Janovic, along with Dave Noriega. You know, we talk a lot about getting Utahns vaccinated against COVID-19, so we can all return to church services as we once knew them. Pack the pews, get the masks off, sing in celebration. But there's also, Dave, an urgent need for vaccines in places far beyond the Utah borders so kids can return to school so families can return to church and people can live without fear of contracting covid and that's where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints comes in
5: the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through its charities is putting millions of dollars into purchasing get this Two billion vaccines. That's right. B billion. It's amazing. Uh, They're going to send it to dozens of nations.
4: Yeah, it's $20 million toward UNICEF's global effort. They got to buy and distribute those 2 billion COVID-19 vaccines to 196 countries. And the goal is to get them there by the end of 2021. Boyd Matheson, who is the opinion editor of the Deseret News and also our colleague at KSL News Radio. You can hear him every day right here on KSL News Radio. He's a host of Inside Sources. Boyd, uh, help Dave and I wrap our heads around (laughs) this. Um, This is huge. And I'm wondering if some of these donated vaccines have already reached some of the countries in need.
6: Yeah, it's it's a fascinating and a a global perspective. And and again, thinking that that's emanating uh, right out of Salt Lake City, Utah, and and that kind of commitment, but it's one that we shouldn't be surprised about. Uh, the church has actually been involved in vaccination efforts uh for decades and decades, all the way back to the 70s when they were funding projects uh, to get vaccines out for uh, for various uh, illnesses around the world. They've actually uh, done over 160. Eight projects in 46 different countries just since 2002, uh, like 116 million people have received vaccinations through the efforts of the church. Uh, and so this is not a surprise. Uh, and I think in particular, as you look at President Russell M. Nelson, uh, president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he has really shown the not only the members of the church, uh, but really the world that faith uh, and science go together. That the that the science and the soul uh, are interconnected, and so this is really an extension of that, uh, and moving these vaccines into places all around the world, and uh, the the impact
5: of that is just going to be beyond measure. And boy, this will be critical to allow people across the globe to return to school. And to church, yeah, that's
6: exactly right. And uh, it's it's one of the things that I, I think uh, as we go along. Where Debbie and I were just talking before, just you know, getting to church and being able to take the mask off and to have real singing again, uh, and you and you multiply that around the world. Uh, there there is something about gathering. There is something about coming together. Uh, whether that's a, a, a Baptist church, whether that's uh, in a synagogue, uh, people want to come together, and this shows that. All of those gatherings matter. Uh, that really is what makes the world go around, so to speak, is that ability to connect. And so this effort uh, obviously extends well beyond the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it extends to every faith and people of no faith uh, who will have a better opportunity to gather in their communities, in their places of worship. Uh, and that is that is just good because when civil civil society is strong, when we have that ability to gather in whatever means, uh, the the world's just a better place.
4: Boyd Matheson, who is the opinion editor of the Desert News, he's also the host of Inside Sources. You can hear him every weekday on KSL News Radio. And Boyd, there was something very profound about the photographs that the church up. Uh, published publicly about the leadership when the leadership, um, they when they were vaccinated because they, they were in that 70 and over group <laughs> and they were one of the first ones in Utah to get vaccinated. That meant the world to me because I felt that that showed uh, true leadership and an effort to protect parishioners and, and those who attend all churches across Utah.
6: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and those uh, those visuals, those images are, are very powerful in saying, look, this is this is safe. This is science. Uh, and. That we can move everything forward from uh, from there and again this is very much a part of the church's history of look we we believe in this science uh and this is something that uh, will make a difference not just for members uh, but for people uh, around the
5: world the 20 million dollar donation appears to be the largest in the push to supply it to other countries uh because this is really not the church's first run at distributing <laughs> vaccines. Yeah, that that's right. Uh, they
6: have been doing this for uh, for a long time. Uh, getting the vaccines from the leaders uh, is just part of being a good global citizen. And I think that's what this donation is about as well. Uh, from the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, President Russell M. Nelson said, we will be good global citizens. And so that meant bringing home over 30,000 missionaries from around the world. That meant closing down temples, suspending in-person church worship, and on and on and on. But it was part of being a good global citizen uh, so that we can do all the other things as well.
4: It's the sacrifice that we made. So science could catch up to yeah. COVID nineteen, and uh, we could start to quash this pandemic. Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, also host of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. As always, our friend, we appreciate your perspective and your in-depth knowledge of of how, what the church is doing uh, to make life better uh, post pandemic for not only Utahns but Dave for people around the globe.
5: Think of how many doses they're shooting for two. Billion doses, you wonder who can afford these kind of things it's large organizations it 's people that have uh, the money to be able to donate this because so many countries and so many people that are struggling financially you don 't want them making decisions on their health because they can 't afford something, and that 's why. Charities that are stepping in and providing this are so crucial.
4: As we continue our special report here on KSL News Radio, straight ahead, as churches begin to have the opportunity to have larger gatherings across Utah, we're going to ask BYU psychologist Dr. Tom Golightly to weigh in on how we can get beyond our fears of potentially contracting COVID, even though we're vaccinated. After a year of following very strict safety protocols.
3: For the next hour, we explore the connection between faith and science. How will the new COVID vaccines be accepted? And will they return Utahns back to church services as we once knew them? Hope on the Horizon with Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on ksl news radio 102.7 fm and 1160 a.m
4: welcome back to this conference edition of hope on the horizon science and faith come together to fight COVID. i'm debbie janovic along with dave noriega and you know we began our discussion earlier by talking about what we miss most about church and for me as a catholic it's taking communion it's the host or what looks like a wafer and, and a sip of wine, which symbolizes the body and blood of Christ and the sacrifices that he made. Um, Dave, I'll admit it. The last time I attended mass was on Christmas Eve, 2019, because I'd heard rumblings of this mysterious virus in China and before we knew it, it had hit the US and I just held back from returning to church because I became fearful of contracting COVID or spreading it.
5: In a moment, let's bring on Dr. Tom Gol- uh, Golightly of BYU to talk about the mental and emotional connection we miss when church is not open for business. What do you miss most, Dave? Remind us. I'll tell you right now, what I miss most is the uh, interaction. I didn't realize how much I liked people. I really do. I like talking <laughs> to people, and I liked uh, being able to go to church and interact because our lives are so busy, and we're all so involved in what we do every day. Church was always an opportunity to go and check in on your neighbors, and yeah. uh, we're we're very close knit uh, in in our neighborhood and in our ward. So I've missed that a great deal.
4: And for me, I was surprised when I f- reflected on that question: What do I miss most? And it it is that sacred moment that um, I have at the altar um, every Sunday when uh, we are taking communion as Catholics. But let's reflect back on that survey that we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, Parishioners of a church in California responded to a survey about what they missed most. You know, there were only about 70 or so who responded, but I thought it was pretty profound. Some of the things that they said, they miss the hugs. They miss the intergenerational connections. So the young and older parishioners being able to, to get together in one church and share their connections. They miss singing. They miss the live music, which to me is, is uplifting whenever I'm in the pews and they miss this, Dave. The physical presence of being inside a sacred architectural building.
5: Yeah, I I can totally see that. I feel many of those same feelings, if not every one of those. It checks a box for me. Uh, So we want to bring on Dr. Tom Golightly uh, from BYU. He's a psychologist there. Uh, Dr. Tom, there were times, I'll be honest, Before the pandemic where church did feel like a heavy lift sometimes because weekends are so packed with other obligations, but I think we have a a little different perspective now. Why do we miss something so much when we can't have it?
1: Well, there are a couple of things that we saw throughout the pandemic and kind of like you were saying, Dave, you missed just people and being around people. A few things that were redemonstrated to us as, as a group is we're intensely social. We are interdependent, meaning we solve problems together. And the third thing is that the previous two things that I mentioned are not completely helped through virtual interaction. We do the best we can, and it was what we had to do. But there's a time when you want to give all the hugs and handshakes, and, and, and we kind of had to drop to a different level of need. That's something that in a few generations we haven't had to do as a people. And when we think like Maslow's hierarchy, we weren't talking about thriving or creating more connection. It was, we're worried about our physical safety and our wellness. And I think uh, when, when you're talking about pre-pandemic, okay, yeah, it did feel a little obligatory to go to church sometimes. We've missed that obligation we've missed mm-hmm. being able to to pay attention to a different level of need to, to, to pay attention to emotional to connection to to spiritual connection and collectively that prolonged need to attend to that more basic level has weighed on us and and uh, now I think we're all just waiting to get back to those to those connections and saying hi and and seeing each other's faces and just being in each other's presence.
4: Beyond that, the parishioners of that church in California that, uh, you know, responded to that church's survey because they'd all gone online like the rest of America went online for church services. I thought it was really intriguing that they missed the physical presence of being inside a sacred architectural wondrous building. And, and for me, when I'm in church, um, at the Catholic church, it's the, the view of the Wasatch mountains and the, you know, as the sun is setting at at five o'clock mass on a Saturday, uh, especially, you know, in the winter months when the sun sets a lot earlier and I can just see the pink coming off of the snow on the mountains and it just cleanses my soul. And I, And I thought about them saying how much they missed that. And I realized I miss that, too. I miss being inside that building.
1: You know, I I think back to being uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thinking back 20 years ago to when uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley announced, hey, we're going to build this gigantic conference center. And part of it was they wanted to give more opportunity for folks to see in person those talks. There is something different about going to an edifice and, and, and walking in and having a shared experience with people, even 20,000 people in the conference yeah. center, and and there is something special about having that. The other component that, that we're exposed to when we go to church, and there's, there's a good body of research talking about casual acquaintances, people that we don't necessarily set up Zoom meetings with to, to keep in contact, but just you know, who we're going to say hi to, think the friendly faces at a gym class or the cashier, we've been cutting those out of our lives. And and I think some of those interactions during a church service or walking into or out of a church service definitely qualify in that. And those people that have those types of interactions every day reported more happiness and life satisfaction. And when we're, we're, we're not having the conversation with the barista or the parishioners or or the clergy or whoever it is we're missing those, and you know for so the first time in almost a year, I saw a colleague in the hall the other day, and we resisted the urge to hug but <laughs> it was it was just kind of amazing it was it made my day just to say hi in person with that with that individual, even though i'd seen their face on zoom and uh in the, it, there's something about an in-person quality that is very different uh than and and again we had to make that choice right we had to connect uh, virtually but as as we try to feel more safe i think we're going to experience a lot more satisfaction when we're in person
4: a few moments ago uh, before you jumped on the line dave and i had a, a sort of round table socially distanced discussion with our friends about what we missed about church and and one thing my very good friend of 20 years stephanie ashcraft uh, told me when i when i called her up and told her we were recording a conference special uh she told me that her son Particular, seven-year-old son, misses Primary. Uh, l- let me play part of that conversation for you, Dr. Tom, and then I want to come back and talk about how we continue to have the discussion with our children.
2: The hardest conversation has been with the seven-year-old because he so badly wants to go back to primary and be with his friends and his teachers and sing all the songs and do all the activities. and And so he has probably felt the loss the greatest, I feel like, because the youth have been able to get back to doing a few in-person activities, and um, they've been meeting via Zoom, and they're, they're still communicating with each other, but for these little ones, they've had the hardest time.
4: So based on Stephanie's question and concerns about, you know, her seven year old, how do we as parents uh, continue to explain to our young children, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time, but also overcome our own fears. We've been socially distanced and masked up for a year now. How do we overcome our own fears of getting our families back to church, even if we've been vaccinated?
1: You know, first of all, I want a minute just to have some empathy for the seven year old <laughs> so it's so, so hard to hear um and and understandable right and I think our young people even even the youth uh age folks the 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 adolescent and and younger kind of pre adolescent it's been hard they've taken maybe the hardest hits of all of the groups uh here uh, along with college students. But as we are are trying to uh, kind of readjust, it's about taking small and calculated risks for the adults. So it's not just throw them into a large group of kids and let them let them roll around in in a small space. But but we had the best folks in the world that all that, you know, all engines went toward uh, providing vaccines and uh, they're they're really good vaccines so once we have those and more and more people are getting them and if they're approved for children, even uh, hopefully in the coming weeks, um, take those small calculated risks. What are you comfortable with, parents, and negotiate that out and be open with your child about that process, that it's a lot like learning to swim. We didn't throw you in the deep end when we taught you how to swim, um, but, but we're going to kind of warm up to the idea of of getting back at it. And, and be, be masked as long as you're comfortable, but stretch where you're needing to engage. And we do have to re-engage. We have to re-socialize, but do it in a measured way. Because those fears are valid. But if we bring compassion and we kind of commit to safety and doing this in a, in a measured way, as opposed to a, a way of, of just throwing them uh, into, into situations we're not used to at this point, then it'll go a little bit better as, as we take our time to, to ease that reentry.
5: Dr. Tom Lightly, thank you so much for joining us, a psychologist at BYU. Uh, we need to re-engage. We need to socialize. So we're going to do it baby steps, a little bit at a time.
4: Next, we're going to check in on a variety of different church communities and ask them how they've begun to reboot church services, their in-person church services. There's much more straight ahead.
3: For more insights with Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic, listen Monday between 9 and noon.
4: Welcome back to this conference edition of Hope on the Horizon. Science and faith come together to fight COVID-19. I'm Debbie Dujanovic, along with Dave Noriega. As many religions had to make adjustments when COVID-19 hit, the big big question now is, how and when will they be merging back to in-person services, Dave?
5: Well, I think it's happening as we speak, it's happening faster and faster. It is a slow process, but the progress with the vaccine distribution has allowed for more people to go back to church and return to not normal, but a little closer to normal. Sort of normal. Remind us, Dave, um, how are your church
4: services going right now?
5: Every other week right now. I think we split it up and Uh, last names like A through M and then N through Z and you go every other week. When you don't go in person, you just watch online. Uh, That's been unique. We've cut our services from two hours down to one. So the Sunday school aspect of it, the classes uh, are all held virtually. Uh, So it's only an hour for half the war
4: is that across all of Utah for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or that just depends on each individual award
5: pretty close. Okay. Yeah, it's very similar across the state.
4: We checked in with other, um, other religions across Utah. Let's start with Utah's largest African American church. They are holding services again, Calvary Baptist church. Now, according to Reverend Moses, in-person services will be open to less than, get this, 100 people, <laughs> but you still have to cheer because they are reopening again. You got to call the church offices there in advance to register and the service will be one hour. They were just one of the many communities here in Utah, Dave, when the vaccine, um, you know, began to roll out across Utah who, you know, are looking ahead to to reboot their in-person services. Only 100 right now. But I think I think that's those baby steps that you're talking about.
5: Yeah. And I think we're getting a little bit more comfortable with the concept of you got to schedule it. You've got to make sure you've uh, arranged a time and I can be at a place so we know how to prepare. So the best way to do that, schedule a time when you can attend And then make sure you keep your appointment.
4: Let's check in next with the Catholic Church, Reverend Martin Diaz. He's the director and pastor of the Cathedral of the Madeline uh, in downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, They first began, of course, nobody was allowed to attend services. And if you've ever been inside the cathedral, you know how glorious it is in there. And when they have to close that cathedral down and they did many, 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 many years ago, Dave, when they refurbished it, Uh, but now closing it down in a pandemic, oh, it's so wonderful to hear that they've been slowly taking steps to let people back in person.
7: So we went to probably uh, about 20% capacity. Then watching the numbers, watching kind of where it was going, um, seemed to be getting better. So then we went to every other pew blocked off so that people could kind of social distance in that. And then most recently with Salt Lake County moving into moderate, we took some of the ropes down. We left some of the ropes up. And even where you could sit in every pew, people are naturally sitting in every other pew. So people are kind of just have social distancing in their mind.
4: He also mentioned that their streaming services have been a big part of keeping things going. Uh, and he thinks that come August, things will start to look a lot more, quote, unquote, normal.
7: I mean, when when are we de- gonna, going to be able to declare victory? <laughs> I think come August, September, we will be back to what I would think is normal.
5: And if you want to talk about hope, just look to what the CDC is Given as far as the new guidance coming uh, to schools, they said you can be seated within three feet of each other wearing masks. uh, But that brings everybody much closer, especially when we're talking about churches where we've been staggering every other pew, you know, leaving one full row empty, well, if we can stay within three feet of each other, that opens it up a great deal.
4: And during our discussion, he also brings up a point that a lot of, you know, our friends are bringing up, Dave, you and I have talked about missing, seeing people in person in the community.
7: I saw a person um, on Sunday who told me that uh, the last time he was in church was a year ago. I just miss the people cuz I'm here all the time. I I miss the people who I see every week and I'm very much looking forward to when they are able to come back. You know, there's some really good people, really good friends, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. parishioners who um we're just missing.
5: It makes a lot of sense. We we do miss being with each other. It also allows us when we are together We just do a better job of checking in, and we can see the telltale signs. If someone is struggling, they usually wear it on their face, and that doesn't necessarily come across in a text. Hey, how are things going? I'm doing good.
4: I felt it was so important to check in uh, with different churches across Utah to find out what their plans are to throw the doors open and bring parishioners back. Many of them are taking a slow approach rather than an all in approach. We'll check in now with the Jewish uh, community. We uh, interviewed Rabbi uh, Avrami Zippel. He's the program director for Chabad of Utah. And he explained to us the steps that they've had to take to adjust over the past year.
8: We had to drastically change the way that we were doing business. We transformed an entire part of our building that was usually used for social functions into a makeshift sanctuary as it had a lot more space to allow for social distancing. Obviously, over the summer, we took a lot of the show on the road. We moved most of our services outside. Uh, The entire high holiday season, we were in a tent in the back of our property. And like mostly everybody on this planet, we made do with what we had. We changed things up. We had to improvise the length of services, the what we, you know, what we were including in our services to make it more possible for people to attend with a mask on for multiple hours. And I think our community responded remarkably.
5: It was one of the things that surprised me that we didn't do a better job of, which was taking it outside. Mm-hmm. We knew early on that being outside was much safer than being inside with recycled air. I think if anything were to ever happen again, one of the lessons we learned was let's take it outside
4: yeah take it out of the jewish community's playbook uh, where they moved their services outside the rabbi also explained dave how they started the transition back to normal
8: we have been very fortunate in the sense that we've slowly started transitioning to in-person activities and programs and events as they've been allowed by department of health guidelines we had a beautiful outdoor and in-person party for the holiday of purim at the end of february which it was a 25-degree night, but people were happy to be out there again, and they wore their masks, and they were delighted to see other people and have that sort of social engagement that was once such a staple of our normal lives once again. And I think that, you know, given Department of Health guidelines and working with the CDC, I think people will be very eager to slowly transition back to normal and moving all, almost all of our programming and our uh, schedule of services in person and allow it to function and allow it to be as normal as possible. And
5: and as we continue our quest to return to that normal, it's happening one day at a time, the hope is that there are brighter days still ahead.
4: I feel confident, Dave, there are brighter days ahead. Thank you so much for tuning in to this conference special, Hope
0: on the Horizon. A gun in the face.